0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. And pray with me, please. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword." The prince of peace brings a sword? Really? How many of you were thinking, didn't we just sing peace on earth, the will to men just a few months ago? Do you know how many times the word peace is used in the New Testament? 92. And here's a sampling of some of my favorite, though some of them might be your favorites or some of them you might be forced to memorize as kids. Mark 5, 34, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be healed of your disease. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Second Corinthians 13:11, aim for restoration, comfort one another, Agree with one another, live in peace, with, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians two seventeen, and He came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. Philippians four seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's one of my favorites. So clearly, Jesus is not talking about the kind of peace we think of, or the kind he promises to his disciples in John 14, which I just read. So let's look back at the context of this passage. Context is king, right? So you've heard the gospel of Matthew read for most of the year, we've been in year A, um, and we've been reading from Matthew chapter 10 each week. Um, So if you could open your Bibles or your phone apps to Matthew 10, So this chapter is often referred to as the Sermon on Missions. The Sermon on the Mount was chapters five through seven. And then in between this sermon and the Sermon on the Mount are miracles of healing. And at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus calls his 12 disciples and sends them out to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They are to heal the sick, but also to travel lightly. And Jesus warns them as we heard last week that they will be persecuted. And why will they be delivered over to the authorities and possibly put to death? Because they are followers of Jesus, because the same thing will happen to him. If they and we are to be imitators of Jesus Christ, then we can expect the world to treat us the same way it treated him. Jesus lays out in these nine verses what it means to serve him as king, which revolves around two themes, rejection and welcome. So this new kingdom that Jesus and the disciples proclaim threatens the old one. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaches a new kingdom vision that challenges the old one held by religious leaders. Again and again, he says, you have heard it said, but I say, Jesus redefines the Ten Commandments. Adultery isn't just the act, but it starts in the heart with prolonged lust and coveting. Murder isn't just The act of killing someone, but the hateful thoughts you have about your neighbor. Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of life is coming, and the kingdom of death is not going to give up easily. The kingdom of death, all that is opposed to Jesus in this upside-down world he preaches, is going to fight back. Those in power and those who benefit from the kingdom of death are not going to submit. The religious leaders who benefited from arbitrary purity rules to feel superior and to keep the common Jewish person underfoot hate Jesus and what he says. The plaque above Jesus' cross announced his crime, King of the Jews, which was a crime against Caesar, an act of rebellion and sedition to claim anyone but Caesar as king. So we don't get peace, we get a sword or division, as Luke puts it, and as Jesus goes on to explain. This is not a dupe, by the way, I was asked that previously, so you know. (laughs) Jesus describes what this division looks like, and I want to be clear that this division is not physical and violent, but relational. It rocks the core of ancient priorities of family relationships, For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. But remember, as one theologian put it, indeed, the division of these relations causes the commandment of Jesus to now spring to life. You have heard it said, love your your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So that their identification as enemies doesn't mean we get to treat our enemies as the world treats theirs. So though Jesus brings division as his disciples, we are called to love and pray for those who persecute us because we follow Jesus. I think we should keep the thought of loving our neighbors at the forefront of our minds, especially when we, in our overzealousness, mistake rejection of Jesus Christ, when he or she is actually rejecting us because we are poor messengers of Jesus. The theologian Stanley Harawas warns such judgment of others can lead to self-righteousness. He states, the gospel is not the gospel until it has been received. Accordingly, rejection may be a sign that the gospel has not been faithfully embodied the character of the one witnessing must be consistent with that for which they are witnessing. We should expect to face rejection because we are followers of Jesus, but we cannot assume all rejection is because. We may have failed to be effective witnesses of his grace, truth, and love. And then Jesus requires the loyalty that a king would ask his subjects Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Today, we don't experience the kind of rejection that a first-century Jewish man or woman would have experienced by choosing to follow Jesus. You can see hints of this in John 9, when Jesus heals a man born blind. As soon as he says he's a disciple of Jesus, his parents reject him, and he is thrown out of the synagogue by the religious leaders a Gentile follower would have met a similar fate. The New Testament has examples of Gentile Christians losing their jobs, families, and powerful positions to follow Jesus. We find that in this kingdom of heaven, Jesus radically redefines what family is. When his mother and brothers come to talk to him, Jesus says, pointing to the people in front of him, here are my mother and my brothers, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, sister, and mother. Those Jewish and Gentile Christians who were cast out by their families were taken in by the church, their new family, the kingdom of heaven. And this kind of hospitality must define the church today. We as Church of the Redeemer must be family. So the image that comes to mind Yes. The image that comes to mind that is the best picture to me of when our church looked most like family is a picture of the long line of picnic tables for the Harvest Festival. I love this picture, even though that night is chaotic and offers at least an hour of waiting to sit down at that table um, with our huge extended family. But isn't that what family looks like? It's messy and chaotic, and sometimes children are running around eating food off the floor. Um, another program at our church that I think focus, forces us to rethink family is the Fellows program. We have 22-year-olds from all over the country who come to this church, live with families in the church and are asked to fully commit to the life of the church, many of them, not even Anglican. And I have heard so many wonderful stories of the fellow who is blessed by seeing a healthy marriage or mature Christian walk-through hardship. And stories of how much life and light the fellow brings to the home where he or she stays. It's a beautiful picture of family. A family built on the love of Christ and on his kingdom. So just to indulge me, how many of you were either fellows, hosted a fellow, mentored a fellow, or hired a fellow as your intern? I love seeing those hands. So if you want to host a fellow in the future, or maybe even be one, um, talk to one of these guys. Or um, I think J.D. Muter was at the early service, and Madison Miller is on a fabulous trip to France, but they are your people. Um, So this kingdom of heaven redefines family, and it requires total commitment to its king. Jesus then says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus did not get a marketing degree in college, but Jesus is always going to tell us the truth. And the truth is, following him will cost you, and it might cost you everything. This passage means what it says. It points to death for following Jesus. Just as Jesus is looking to his own death, and the degrading time where he will walk through the streets of Jerusalem, stripped and beaten, carrying the cross. Sometimes you hear people say, well, this is just the cross I have to bear. No, it's not. Losing a loved one in an accident, having cancer, getting fired, or having a bad day is not your cross. It's just living in a fallen world. Taking up your cross and losing your life is a choice to totally commit to Jesus. A conscious decision to lose all of it because you are his disciple and disciples model their lives after their master. Following Jesus is an act of self-denial and humility that requires a laying down of what we want, what we love and what we want others to think about us. To pick up your cross and follow Jesus is to invite shame and humiliation and even death just like he did is this the king you want to follow is there any wonder that he brings division (laughs) the following jesus leads to rejection from family and state it also leads to welcome and hospitality jesus completes the sermon on mission with this passage the rejection turns to reception. Those who receive Jesus' disciples not only receive Jesus, but also receive God himself. From prophet to righteous person to little one, all are disciples of Jesus Christ, and all represent him to the broader world. So these are the seeds of what Paul discusses as the body of Christ, where he expounds on the different gifts given to each member to build up the body and make it function just as prophet, righteous person, little one, describe each person has a role to play as a disciple of Christ. We affirm this idea after we receive the body of Christ in the Eucharist by praying the post-communion prayer together that we are living members of the body of your son. As his disciples, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And I love that being like Jesus can be as simple as giving a fellow disciple a cup of cold water. Those who minister to, show hospitality to, or care for those followers who are doing kingdom work become participants in the kingdom work. Just like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, the body can't all be eyes or ears. Different members do different things. So we can work as a functional body. So the prophets and the righteous people and those who give a drink to a little one all participate in their own way and build up the kingdom of heaven. Whether we are missionaries on another continent or volunteering in the nursery, we serve Jesus when we serve each other. So what are we to do with this news? So first I think we must count the cost of following Jesus. Serving the king of, king, of the kingdom of heaven means both rejection and reception facing the rejection of family, friends, and the wider society, forces us to redefine what family means. We must be loyal to Jesus over family, work, and nation. And I know we are celebrating the 4th of July this week, and I am so grateful to live in a country where I can come here and worship freely. And I know some of you have members in the military or have served in the military, and I love our little neighborhood celebrations and fireworks, um, but the pledge of allegiance we said as kids in grade school—Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America—must be superseded by the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. The first commandment, "You shall have no other gods before me," includes your family and the nation. That's why Jesus brings the sword, because his kingdom is about Jesus and nothing else. He stands at the center, and he's calling disciples to pledge allegiance to him. But by serving this king, we receive a new global family of all nations. All nations, right, Jonathan? <laughs> of fellow disciples and the hospitality of all believers, every tribe, nation, and tongue. So when you leave today, think about the simple task of hospitality you might offer to your extended family and followers of Jesus. In other words, what does your offering of a cup of cold water look like? And I pray that when you come to this table for our family meal, you might be refreshed and empowered by the body of Christ to be the body of Christ to those around you. Stay with me. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that we receive by serving you. Strengthen us in times of trial to remain faithful to you. Fill us with your love so that we might serve each other faithfully. Help us to remember that when we give a cup of cold water to a little one, we are giving it to you. We ask these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever.